Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join Executive Pastor Dr. Tucker York. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 4, as we finish up this evening series and this letter of Paul. And now you'll have to excuse my voice as I've been developing a cough, and we'll see how much longer my voice can hold out uh, through uh, tonight's service. Well, we know, we know the apostles. We know Peter, James, and John, Matthew, and of course, Paul. They're are notable names early in the early church, but there were other names, kind of a second tier of leadership in the church that we have referred to over the ages as the Apostolic Fellowship. These were the disciples, the companions of the apostles. Some of them, like Mark and Luke, even authored books of the Bible, the Gospels that bear their names. And here at the end of Colossians, we have a lengthy list of those who served alongside the Apostle Paul. And I believe they deserve some attention here to catch a glimpse of the apostolic fellowship. What held these men together as they served alongside one another in the work of the gospel? I pick up and read chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that we may, he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, Concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Our gracious God and Father, we would ask this evening that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Weeks before my high school graduation, I won an unexpected award voted on by fellow students in my senior class. 
and it was not most likely to succeed or the coveted best-looking award. Rather, uh, two of my close friends, Joe and Corey and I, were voted best friends. Uh, Our fellow seniors had observed our friendship over those four years and our faithfulness to one another and enduring through the various highs and lows of high school life together and voted us best friends. This was very special to us. It meant a lot as we were finishing school together and entering out into the world. Paul ends this letter with a lengthier list of friends than normally in his letter, comparable with his letter to the Romans, listing those who supported his ministry. There are some here that we know quite well and others less so, but almost all of them are mentioned at least one other time elsewhere in the New Testament. Who were these men? Why are they listed here? And what do they tell us about the nature of the gospel ministry in the early church? And how does it help us today? As we carry on their mission, as it draws closer, closer to the day, when we will hear the triumphant note of the Lord, when he deems this great work complete, when he will finally return to gather in the nations and usher in the eternal state. Tonight, We want to consider the attributes of the Apostolic Fellowship, the affection of the Apostolic Fellowship, and the aspirations of the Apostolic Fellowship. Well, Paul first mentions Tychicus and Onesimus, this team of couriers who were sent to report to the church their work of the ministry and to also report the welfare of Paul and his company. Notice that both are called here beloved brothers and faithful, entrusted into their hands was the original letter that became part of the New Testament canon. And long before the Postal Service or UPS, reliable couriers were a valuable resource. We presume that they completed their mission, and even Tychicus was the messenger who delivered Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We first meet him in Acts 20, verse 4, a native of Asia Minor, who after his conversion joined Paul's ministry team. Of course, Onesimus, we heard about last week in Pastor Kiefer's message, it was the subject of the letter to Philemon, where Paul appeals to a Christian slave owner to forgive Onesimus, a runaway slave who had become a Christian under Paul's ministry. And apparently, Philemon complied with Paul's request, giving Onesimus his freedom, or at least enough freedom, to serve on Paul's ministry team, and here is a companion courier with Tychicus. Aristarchus is mentioned next, who is a fellow prisoner with Paul. In Acts chapter 19, we see him traveling with Paul, and even gets caught up in the riot of Ephesus. He certainly earned his stripes. But Aristarchus continues on with Paul through Macedonia and Greece and even Paul's stay in Caesarea and his long journey to Rome. And then there are two other Jewish men. First, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Jesus, who is called Justice. And this Mark is 
the John Mark, the companion of Peter and the author of the Gospel of Mark. Now, you may recall that Mark had abandoned Paul on his first missionary journey, and this led to a sharp dispute between Paul and Barnabas as they set out on their second journey, Barnabas wanting to bring his cousin Mark, and Paul disagreed, concluding that Mark was no longer qualified as he had deserted their uh, fellowship on the first journey. And so instead, Paul took Silas to go back and strengthen all the churches, but Barnabas had taken Mark to Cyprus. And it would become evident that Barnabas' efforts to disciple Mark bore much fruit, leading to the eventual reconciliation between Mark and Paul and restoring him into the apostolic fellowship. A good note here on patience and discipleship and correction, especially young believers and young men training for the ministry. And Barnabas's patient encouragement is commendable, as we see in the life of Mark. And of course, here, Paul has nothing negative to say about Mark's character. And we find him later in his last letter to, in 2 Timothy, requesting Timothy to bring Mark with him, for he is very useful to me in my ministry. Well, corresponding to these three Jewish brothers are three Greek men, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. Epaphras, we are introduced to in the first chapter of Colossians, who was a faithful minister of Christ, who had taught the Colossian church. Paul commends him as a servant of Christ Jesus. And here, Paul highlights how Epaphras struggles on behalf of the church in prayer. And that that language Paul uses brings to my mind the image of Jacob wrestling with the angel of God all night and preparing to meet his brother, estranged brother Esau. I suppose that many of us have had similar late nights of wrestling in prayer with God before making important decisions, being convicted of our sin, desiring repentance before the Lord, pleading with God for the work of the gospel in the heart of someone we deeply care about. Epaphras was deeply burdened for these people, that they may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. He was determined both in his teaching and his praying that the Colossian church would be rooted and grounded in Christ. Paul has more to say about Epaphras than any of his other companions and bears witness about him that he worked hard for them as well as he has for the other churches. Paul mentions Luke, the beloved physician who joined Paul in his second missionary journey and continued along with Paul all the way to Rome, chronicling the journey, which is recorded in the book of Acts, the accompanying companion book to the gospel that bears his name. And then Demas is briefly mentioned without attributes, and sadly, we later learn of his departure from the faith in Paul's last letter to Second Timothy, in Second Timothy. Paul is no lone ranger. He was not a one-man show, 
And though his name is most prominent in the annals of church history by his church planting record and authoring no less than 13 books in our New Testament canon. And yet Paul gathered and surrounded himself with faithful men, those whom he trusted, could depend upon, who would support him in his trials, who would continue the work of the gospel once his race on earth was completed. When I was in college, I had a high school friend visit me from another university, and being female, she stayed in a sorority house near, not far from my dorm room. I had helped her come to faith in Christ later in her high school years, and sadly, she had made some bad decisions while at college, and sought me out for some encouragement and to try to get straightened out with the Lord. And so she hung out with me and my group of friends for the weekend. And at the end of her visit, paid me one of the best compliments I had ever received. After spending time with my group of friends and some of the godly girls in the sorority said, Tucker, you have surrounded yourself with amazing people. She was commending what she saw in the Christian fellowship and the commitment of the community we had there on campus. Not a Christian school, a very secular school and far from Christian, filled with many worldly pitfalls, but the Christian fellowship was healthy and vibrant in our community. Her compliment spotlights the priority of Christian friends. The people that you surround yourself with will influence your values and your priorities. Are the people in your company influencing you for Christ or for the world? Good friends can be hard to find. And when you do, keep them, encourage them, be to them the friend that God would have you be in Christ to them. Our, one of our sons has been dating a young lady and he commented to me and my wife recently just in getting to know her and thinking back upon past relationships has strengthened his resolve to only date or consider marrying somebody who was faithful and committed to the Lord. I'm grateful for the large body of young people we have in our youth group here at Westminster. Last Sunday, I was privileged to teach in our senior high Sunday school class, something I haven't done in a very, very, very long time. And I was so encouraged to see about 60 senior high students gathered as I taught them on science, science in the Bible, and fairly well engaged uh, for, for young people. And my children have been blessed and benefited from the Christian friendships they had developed here in this church. And preserving that commitment to Christian fellowship as they ventured off into college and beyond. Paul commends the many attributes of the apostolic fellowship of his companions, but expresses his affection for them best in verse 11 when he says of them, They have been a comfort to me. The mighty Apostle Paul was not immune to the trials and hardships of ministry life. 
In 2 Corinthians 11, he gives excruciating detail to his many imprisonments, beatings from which he nearly died. He received 40 lashes, no less than five times, was beaten by rod, stoned, shipwrecked, was under danger from his own kinsmen who stirred up trouble for him, as well as false brothers who sought his downfall. He recounts in 2 Corinthians 1, the grave affliction he and his companions faced in Asia where they were so burdened that they despaired of life itself. Paul lacked a wife for companionship and comfort, at least had no wife in his latter years as a commissioned apostle, but drew comfort from his dear and devoted brothers. How many times had they picked him up off the ground after stoning or a fresh beating? Imagine in your minds that image where Paul and Silas are singing hymns in a Philippian jail, having just endured a beating. And God uses an earthquake in the faithfulness of these men to lead both the jailer and the prisoners to faith in Christ. What a comfort to Paul were these men, these faithful companions, these trustworthy brothers, co-laborers in the work of the gospel. Recall that John the Baptist had doubts when he was pining away in prison and sought out the master with questions to strengthen his faith. We don't know whether Paul wrestled with such doubts, but he he bore enormous burdens and needed the shoulders of his brothers to help carry his care for the churches, resolving their disputes, enduring false attacks, suffering the pain of betrayal, when former followers chose the way of the world rather than following Christ. Paul did not bear these burdens alone. Like Aaron and her holding up the arms of Moses upon the mountaintop, Paul had brothers to uphold him, to encourage him, to extend his ministry beyond his limited reach of one man who could not possibly accomplish all that he desired without faithful brothers who shared his passion to spread the name of Christ among the Jews and the Gentiles. They were a comfort to him. It's difficult for literature to capture the shared bonds of fellowship that are forged in great trial like Paul and his companions, but The Hobbits in The Lord of the Rings comes quite close. When Frodo steps forward, to be the ring bearer, to carry the dreaded ring of power into the heart of Mordor, to destroy it in the fiery depths of Mount Doom. He does not go alone. A fellowship of nine set out, five heroes of Middle Earth, a wizard and warriors from among men and elves and dwarves. But with Frodo are three other hobbits, halflings, weaklings, Samwise, Mary, and Pippin. The young hobbits barely have a clue what they are getting themselves into. As their journey takes them on such dangerous adventures that surpass their wildest imaginations. 
And in the end, they persevere and prevail, not by wisdom, not by power, but by loyalty, faithfulness, an undying friendship that will not give up on each other as their Herculean mission is completed. The bonds of fellowship forged in the crucible and trials of ministry are challenges that deepen Christian friendships and sweeten the experience of fellow travelers along the highways of the Lord. Paul and his companions traveled together, did ministry together, suffered together, endured persecution and beatings and imprisonment. Perhaps you have tasted on a less dramatic scale similar experiences on mission trips or serving alongside fellow believers in children's ministry and youth ministry, outreach to refugees and immigrants. Ministry has its rewards and its trials. May you enjoy the sweetness of Christian fellowship as you do ministry with co-laborers, as you share in the joy of spreading the name of Christ and the word of God among those who are in need. And thirdly, let us consider the aspirations of the apostolic fellowship. In verse 11, Paul speaks of his companions as fellow workers in the kingdom of God, like the men who built the transcontinental railroad, connecting east to west across the great United States. They had a common purpose, a grand vision of something bigger than themselves that they could ever accomplish on their own. They were compelled by something glorious. The charge of the Lord Jesus Christ to go into the world to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all things according to God's word. It was their privilege. It was their honor to spread the gospel of Christ and teach the whole counsel of God. It would make Christ known among the ignorant, the lost, and those condemned worshiping false gods. In our closing verses, Paul asks that the church give greetings to the church in Laodicea, to Lady Nympha, the host of a house church, that the letter might be read to them, and there is a reference to an apparent letter Paul wrote to the Laodiceans who was presumably lost to history and not preserved in our canon, according to the wise counsel of God. And here Paul gives a charge to Archippus to fulfill the ministry he has received from the Lord. Archippus is named in the letter to Philemon, it's quite possibly Philemon's son, as scholars suggest. And the nature of this charge and the designation of Archippus in that letter as a fellow soldier would indicate that he is a preacher, that he was left to minister to the church at Colossae, to build up the saints. And so it is fitting that he might receive the final exhortation to fulfill his ministry that was entrusted to him by the Lord. Paul 
enjoyed the companionship of dear friends. But not all of them were true. Demas proved false. And as it says of him in 2 Timothy 4, because he loved the world and left the fellowship of the saints. He is not the only one who suffered such betrayal. David had once enjoyed the friendship and wise counsel of Ahithophel, who turned against David to support Absalom's coup. David writes in Psalm 41, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. To know true friendship is a sweet balm to the soul. To experience betrayal from one whom you thought was a friend is to taste the bitter gall of death. One who stayed true to David, even against his own self-interest, was his friend Jonathan. Jonathan had everything to gain by simply letting his father kill David to remove him as a threat to the throne. But Jonathan was pure of heart and not greedy and corrupt like his father Saul. And not only was Jonathan faithful to David, he was faithful to the Lord and to the Lord's anointed, seeking to serve David who would one day take the throne rather than him. Jonathan's self-denying love, his willingness to to, to to trade places with David, his commitment to protect David from his father's wrath anticipates the greater friend who would come and fill David's throne, who would give Paul his charge to take the gospel to the nations. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus never turned away from those who came to him sincerely for help. He faithfully loved his disciples to the very end. Despite their failures, despite their cowardice on the very night and the very hour of his greatest need, Jesus asked them to stay awake, to pray, through to endure through the hour of testing. But each one, one by one, fell asleep and fell away when he was arrested. Jesus was betrayed. First by Judas, who sold him for 30 pieces of silver, and later by Peter, who denied him three times that he knew him. Judas failed to repent and took his own life. Peter repented and was later restored. John Mark and Peter both experienced a time of testing and falling away, having deserted their calling, but having come to their senses and repentant, were later reconciled and restored through the deep heart work of repentance. It is hard to restore friendship, to restore a partnership, to restore a marriage after betrayal or desertion. But it is possible by the power 
of the gospel that stops sinners in their tracks, that turns them around to face their sins, to humble themselves, to confess, to seek the forgiveness of those whom they have hurt, who can only extend that grace that they have received themselves from the gracious hand of God. The apostolic fellowship shows us the greatness of the joy and the the blessing that is gained through entering into Christian fellowship, of sharing a common faith and a common commitment to serve Christ. It also brings the pain of when friendships fail under the weight of sin and the luring of enticements in our broken world. Be wise in your friendships. Seek out new friendships. Be a faithful friend. Embrace your calling as a Christian friend to others. Be vulnerable, even if it might expose you to the hurt of those who might fail when you trust your heart into their hands. But always remember that there is one faithful friend who always sticks closer than a brother, who will never fail us, who will never leave us nor forsake us, and who will see that we are brought safely home to our Father's house when our journey is complete. May all praise, honor, and glory, and power be to the risen Christ forever and ever. Amen. Father, we're so grateful for your word and its power, and we're so grateful for your Son, the one who calls us friends, who invites us into his company, who commissions us to be part of his great mission to make your name great across this grand world you have made. I pray that you would strengthen each of us in our calling, help us to be friends to one another, to befriend the friendless and invite and welcome people into the fellowship of the saints here at our church. May you be glorified in our fellowship and our service in Christ's name. We pray. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you. And may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.